Today I'd like to share from one scripture, and it's 1 Timothy 3.16. 1 Timothy 3.16. And I'll just read it. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up to glory. Now, Paul's writing to Timothy here. Paul, an apostle of God, he and Timothy have ministered in Ephesus, and Paul's moved on, but he's left Timothy behind. And he's writing to Timothy with a charge. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to stay in Ephesus, and I want you to bring some correct teaching. He's in his letter early on, he says, I'll leave you there, Timothy, because they've got onto fables and genealogies and other things, and they've turned away from the gospel. And he writes a number of things, but in the middle of this message, he said, because uh, it's five chapters long, in the middle of it, he puts, inserts this scripture. And so he's speaking to Timothy, and he's, the first part of this, and without controversy, this is Paul speaking, and he's saying, listen, that without question, there's no doubt about this. This is not to be discussed, as in discussed, as in um, uh, arguing against. It's a little bit like when I might say when my children were little, it's half past seven at night, and I would say it's time to go to bed. And sure enough, one of the children might turn and, well, I just want five more minutes of TV, or if they're getting a bit older. It's too early for me to go to bed. And they would start discussing what had been shared. And I would say to them, I'm your dad. It's time to go to bed. And they would go to bed. And Paul starts off this, this, this book on that same basis. He says, Paul, an apostle of God, commanded, an apostle, commanded by, the, by God. Elsewhere he says, I'm a... In other, other letters he writes, he says, I'm a prisoner of God, or by the will of God, but this time he says commanded by God because Paul is speaking here with authority. He's speaking and saying, I am the apostle, and this is, without controversy. Don't bring controversy into this. What I'm about to say to you, he's saying, is without question. And then he goes on to say, great is the mystery of godliness. And so he's saying, what I'm going to about unfold to you is mighty, because that which was before was a mystery. See, all the way through, up until Christ, there was a mystery written in Scripture. And the mystery was about the coming of Jesus. The mystery was about that which was. But once Jesus came, then it gets revealed. And the revelation that we receive. And so he says, great is the mystery of godliness, because that which was... A mystery is now revealed, and I can declare it unto you. And so then he proceeds to start to declare these truths that we see in Christ. And even though that it's been Christ came, it's still revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 16, 25, I'll just read that, but it says, And now... 
to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the pro prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. But the bit I wanted there was that the mystery kept secret from the beginning of the world. This mystery that Paul is talking about is the mystery that we see of Christ revealed. And so he says five things. God was made manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up to glory. So God, he says, and the first question that comes to mind, who is this God? And this first is the God of the creator of heaven and earth. This is the God he's speaking about. No other God. He's speaking to Gentiles here. And they, they are familiar with many other gods. But he's speaking about the God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who has no beginning and no end. Who has always been and will always be. This is the God he's speaking of. He's also speaking of this God who is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. For there's only one God, but he's revealed to us as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we see that right at the beginning of Scripture. Genesis 1, 1 to 3. And in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And when God said, that God's word was spoken, and the word came forth. And so we have... God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Because John, in John 1.1, 1, 1, interprets that for us. For he says, in the beginning, the Word of God was, sorry, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so we find right at the beginning, in the first three scriptures, we find the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit hovering over the waters. God himself creating and the word coming forth. God also says in, the, in Genesis, it's a recount of God creating things. When he comes to the sixth day, God says to himself, let us make man in our own image. He doesn't say, let me make man or I will make man in my image. He says, let us. The word that they used and they wrote down there was Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M. Elohim, El means God, but Elohim is the plural of God. Now the Jews were very right and correct, there was only one God. But we find a truth in there that there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the third thought that came to my mind when Paul says God this is the God whom 
we cannot discern in our own strength. You can search for God, and God's promise is that if you search with Him with all your heart, you will find Him. But you can't find Him in your own strength. You can study, you can read the Bible through and through, but it's God who reveals Himself to us because He made the promise that if you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. And He was so certain in saying that because He knew that He would reveal Himself if you search for Him. You search for God, He'll reveal Himself. It's elsewhere said in the Bible that in fact He reveals Himself even to those who don't search for Him. But His promise is that if you search for me, you will find me because God knows that He will reveal Himself to the person who searches. See, we don't find God by our own strength. This God that Paul talks about is not found by us. We, we find Him because He reveals Himself to us. And it says, this God was manifest in the flesh. And manifest in this flesh means to become. It's more than just appeared, but He became in the flesh. In all aspects, like us, because we are in the flesh. We are mortal. We are body, soul, and spirit. And when God made us, He made us like Him. But now we find God manifesting Himself as us, like us. Now, He wasn't exactly the same as us because He was still, when He came, 100% God and 100% man. We are only 100% man, just in case. But it goes on in John 1.14. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But in John 1.14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen His glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we find there that Christ is the manifestation of God himself. Manifest in the flesh. And we find that also in Matthew. And this is where the angel comes to Joseph. Joseph who's betrothed to Mary. And Mary, in their engagement time, becomes pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph doesn't, he's not in on, in on this at this point until the angel comes. Because Joseph was deciding, what do I do? Will I put her away? I'll put her away privately. I won't make a public spectacle of her. And the angel came to him and said, fear not. Just as he was considering these things, as in Matthew 1, 20 to 23, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken of by the prophet. And that was by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. So we see here Paul writing to the church, to Timothy and the church at Ephesus. God made, was made manifest in the flesh. 
and it's witnessed by these others, other scriptures saying Christ is God made manifest in the flesh. Christ came by the Holy Spirit hovering over Virgin Mary and she brought forth a son. And he grew and we know he grew and we called him Jesus. But it also says prophetically his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And so this is the, this is the God that he introduces. And now he's speaking of the, well, he was speaking of the godliness when he was manifest in the flesh. And then he was justified in the spirit. Justified means to be declared righteous. And so when I was thinking on that, and we know that Jesus lived a sinless life. He did not sin. There's none of us no one, nowhere who can make that claim. We all fall short of keeping the word of God. We all fall short of righteousness. In fact, the Bible tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. No matter how righteous we look and think, our righteousness that we can manufacture falls well short. Jesus lived a life on this earth without sinning. And this is depicted in our, this, the witness to when Christ was baptized. John the Baptist was baptizing in the river Jordan and Jesus appeared and John baptized him. And when he baptized him, it said that gives an account in Matthew 3, 16, 17, and Matthew 4, 1. It says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So immediately after his baptism, Jesus went for 40 days into the wilderness, led by the Spirit, which people saw come down and alight upon Christ. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days and tempted severely by the devil. It was a direct confrontation. Up until that point, Christ had not been revealed, not as the Son of God. He'd been revealed to Peter, if you remember, there was a story before that when Jesus was asking his disciples, who does people say I am? Who do the people say I am? Then he asked Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter said, oh, you're the Christ. And he said, my father's revealed that to you. But people out there, they said, some said he was Elijah. Some said he was another prophet. They didn't know. But at his baptism, it was declared to the whole world. It was declared to Satan who he was. This is... Jesus, who is the Son of God. And so Satan came and tempted him quite directly. But Christ was led of the Spirit. Christ was without sin. And the Spirit justifies him. The Spirit testifies that Christ was without sin. The Spirit 
also quickened and raised Jesus from the dead. In 1 Peter 3.18 it says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, and the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So Christ died, but the Holy Spirit quickened him, so he became alive. Romans 8.11 says, And if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. So the same Spirit that quickened Christ can quicken you. Now Christ didn't need saving. He was without sin. And so by his death, by the death of the just, many of the unjust, which is us all, can receive. But he still needed, after he was put to death, quickening and coming to life. And it was God the Father that did that. And the Holy Spirit did that. And we need quickening. We need quickening out of our sins so that we might live. And then it was says, not only was he justified in the Spirit, but it says God was seen by angels. And I asked myself, why did he put seen by angels in there? But not only was Jesus witnessed on the earth, but he was witnessed in heaven. And the angels bear witness to Jesus in heaven. See, he was declared, angel, it was angels that declared his birth. It was an angel that came unto Mary and said, Mary, you've been You won't know a man have a son, you'll be a virgin, but you will have a son. It was the angel who went to Joseph and said, hey, this is what I'm doing to your fiance. Don't put her away. And it was an angel that came to the shepherds who were out on the hillside when Christ was born and he appeared unto them and said, behold, a savior is born today unto, this, unto the world. There were many angels at that same time because it said the heavens are burst open as it were and there were a host of angels singing and magnifying God and there were witnesses that God was being made manifest in the flesh and it was an angel that declared him risen Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb three days after that Christ had been crucified and just before they arrived, an angel had come down from heaven and rolled away the stone. And Christ had risen. And they arrived, and the tomb was empty, but the angel was there. And the angel declared unto them that Christ had risen. They turned and went back, and go and tell the disciples, he said. They turned, and on the way to the disciples, Christ himself appeared unto them. But it was an angel that declared, the Lord is risen. And so they were seen of angels and they were witnessed. Jesus, the manifestation of God on earth and what he came to do was witnessed by angels. It was preached unto the Gentiles. And Paul was declaring a great truth here. In the midst of this short verse, he's saying he's preached unto the Gentiles. Because up until then, God was for the Jews, the nation of the Jews only. This God that he speaks about God who created the heavens and the earth, that was a Jewish God. It wasn't the Gentiles' gods, they had other gods. In fact, you might know the story when 
a woman came to Jesus and asked for relief for her daughter. And Jesus said, I came to the nation of Israel. And she said, a wise thing to him, but even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. And God said, by your faith, your daughter's whole or healed. But he came to the Jews, Jesus did. But he didn't. He came for the whole world, as we know. Because he only came to minister to the Jews, but he came for the world. Because he says he was preached unto the Gentiles. Because we know in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but of everlasting life. See, it was because of his love for the world, a love for all people. See, this wasn't the case in today when we look upon and we hear, oh, black or white or, or, or yellow or red, different colors of skin. Back in these days, it was Jew and Gentile. You were a Jew and you had your God, or you were all the rest, Romans and Greeks and the whole host of everybody else with their gods. But Paul was declaring that this wasn't for Israel only. This was for the Gentiles, for all people. See, they were moving from law to grace. For under the, under the law, for the Jewish people, everything was done in the flesh, by the flesh. Everything about their, their worship of God and their following of God was seen in their flesh. And the easiest example of that is circumcision. They were to be circumcised. Every Jewish boy needs, must be, had to be circumcised. Otherwise, he was not a Jew. Otherwise, he was rejected. When Moses was out in the wilderness and he married his wife and he was going back to Egypt to set, his, to set God's people free, he hadn't circumcised one of his sons. And God came to him and said, threatened to kill him. And his wife quickly circumcised the boy. Story says, it's not a story, it's history says. But circumcised was necessary. Everything that the Jews did under the law <coughs> was manifest physically. Their sacrifices were done physically. It was all physical. And so we say in the flesh. But under grace, everything is spiritual. And Paul declares this, for you are no longer to be circumcised or need to be circumcised in the flesh, but the circumcision is of your heart. It's our heart that needs to be circumcised. It's flesh, it's spirit. For my obedience no longer now is in the flesh. My obedience is in the spirit. It's obedience is now in the spirit of God, of what God would want me to do. And that's what Jesus declared when he was on this earth, because he says, I only do that which the Father tells me. The religious ones in, in Israel, they were very frustrated at Christ. They were angry with him, and they sought to put him to death, because they found him eating or walking through wheat fields on the Sabbath day, because they had made all these rules, what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath day. And they found, found Jesus contravening those. But Jesus said to us very clearly, I only do that which the Father tells me. I'm obedient 
to the Father, my Father, God in heaven. And he didn't change from that. Everything he did was obedient unto him. And therefore he didn't sin, but he was obedient in the spirit. And that applies to us today. Is our obedience in the flesh? Or is it in the spirit? Am I doing that which I hear God tell me? And this second great command after loving God is to love my neighbor as myself. And John goes on to declare that the world will know that you're a disciple of Christ by your love one for another. His command for us is to love. Now that love will exercise itself in some manner or form. It should exercise itself in some manner or form. If it doesn't exercise itself in some manner or form, I'm quite entitled, in a sense, to ask you if it's love. Because love reveals itself. And it will reveal itself in some way as I love my brother, as I love my neighbor, as I love anyone around me. It will reveal itself. And by watching me, you'll be able to determine whether I love my neighbor or don't, or whether I love a brother or sister in the Lord or not. It reveals itself. But first, I have to find that obedience in the Spirit. And God says, if you obey me, I call you my friend. And it believed on God who manifests himself in the flesh, was believed on in the world. And why did, why did Paul write that in this message of the gospel? See, he was rejected by religions. The religious rejected Christ. It was the religious Pharisees and Sadducees that sought to have him crucified. And in fact, whole of, whole of Israel in the end sought to have him crucified. But the withstanding against Christ came from the religious leaders. And the religions of the world don't accept Christ. They reject him. He's believed on in the world by whom the world considers foolish. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 29. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world. And those things which are despised hath God chosen. Yes, and things which are not. To bring to naught those that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. You see, the world believed on, those that believed on Christ and we who believe on Christ don't believe because of our own discerning and don't believe because of our own strength. And in fact, the world will tell you you are foolish. Unless they too believe, they'll tell you they're foolish. If you don't declare that a virgin gave birth to a son, 
How can that happen? They will say. If you're going to say God created the heavens and the earth, he spoke and they came into being. Not one university will proclaim that. Well, not one that I know of. They won't proclaim that. They'll say you're foolish to believe that. But it's true. So they were believed on in the world, but those who believed were those who the world would consider foolish. Those who believed, the world would say, why would you believe that? And you may well answer because Christ revealed it in your heart. Because it's the Holy Spirit who reveals God to us. We can search for him and we will find him because he comes unto us. And we will see him and we know him because of the witness and revelation of the Holy Spirit. Not by being able to point to things in the world. I've got no problems with people doing archaeology digs and looking for this and looking for that. And they, when they find them, they say, see, it does. It supports what's written in the Word. And that's true. But we'll never come to Christ by being able to say, I saw an archaeology dig and therefore it lined up with this bit of Scripture, therefore I believe. It might help your unbelief, but your belief will come when the Holy Spirit speaks into your heart and you know without a shadow of doubt that what He speaks to you is true. Because, because that comes to my next point. It said He was received up to glory. So after he died, we know Jesus ascended into glory. And there's a couple of points about that. First was, all, he, went, he goes up to glory because all authority at that point had been given to Christ. All authority over every principality and power of this world had been given to Christ. At the cross, when he died, it said that he made an open um, shame of all principalities and powers. I'll just read it from Colossians 2, 12 to 15. Or 13 to 15. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. So up to that point, he's saying, you who were in sin, Christ had taken, and because of his righteousness, he had taken away the ordinances against us. He had taken away the charges against us and nailed them to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And so in the spirit realm, at the cross, all principalities and powers were overthrown by Christ. Satan, all of Satan's so-called principalities and powers were overthrown by Christ at the cross. And so Christ was received up to glory. He was received up to glory as the risen Savior, not of us, of us, but not only as the risen Savior. He was received up to glory as the authority and given authority over the whole heavens and earth. He was received up to glory and sits on the right hand of God the Father because he rules and reigns in heaven. 
And as he went, he said some very pertinent truth to us. He said, I needs must go. The disciple said, why are you going? He said, I must go. I must go so that the Holy Spirit can come and indwell you. So the Holy Spirit can come and dwell in you. God himself in us. And I was reminded once with a person I was speaking to. And he was a Christian. I was speaking to him. He said, I want to see an angel. I, I desire to see an angel. And I thought to myself, well, that's good, but you've got God dwelling in you. Why do you need to see an angel? An angel is only going to speak to you from God. And God himself will speak directly to you because he's within you. He dwells in you. And it's a truth that we must not forget. The Holy Spirit dwells within us to lead us into all truth, daily, hourly, minute by minute, that we can hear him and obey him and therefore walk pleasing unto God. We don't walk by the ordinances of men, but we walk by the ordinances of God. Hallelujah. And the Holy Spirit comes to us and is given to us, and we find Jesus explaining to the disciples about those things, how the Holy Spirit will come and be our advocate and be our comforter and will lead us into truth. But he also says something in verse John 16, verse 14, and he says, the Holy Spirit will glorify Christ Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's purpose is to glorify Christ, glorify God who was manifest in the flesh, and is now risen and is in heaven. And I say all these things. And the end result of all these things is one further thing, which Paul doesn't say. He says it elsewhere. That Christ is coming again. Because if Christ had done all that and went to heaven and wasn't coming again, we wouldn't have a finality to this. We wouldn't have that hope to look forward to. But it's his coming again that ushers in heaven. It's his coming again that ushers in when God says, I will come and they will be my, I will be their God and they will be their people. His coming again brings a finality to what we find right at the beginning when God created people so that he might dwell with them. And God desires to dwell with us, not in a fallen world, but in a world that's perfect. A world where all things are in order, in godly order. That's what he desires. Now, he dwells with us now, but God does not see that as the final result. He doesn't want, he does want, but he doesn't purpose to dwell in us in this fallen world forever. His desire is in eternity is to dwell with us in an ordered world, in a godly world. And that, as we know, is heaven. And so he's coming again. And he will come again. And he's coming again, in my belief, soon. Hallelujah. The Bible, people will discern the Bible and they'll read through it and they'll have all different arguments about when it happens. But we do know he's coming again. And so we go back to what Paul was writing and writing without controversy. 
without question, the mystery of God, the awesome, great mystery of God has now been revealed to us. That God came in flesh, and we now know as Christ. And he was justified. He was righteous. He never sinned. And he was witnessed by angels, both on earth and in heaven. And he came for all people. All people. No longer Jews. All people. And he came. And we find him now longer, no longer. It's a physical thing I must do. It's a spiritual thing I must apprehend God. I apprehend him in my spirit. And he speaks to me in my spirit. And he leads me in my spirit. And he challenges me in my spirit. And in fact, when I came to him and to every other person who came to him, who believed on him, he gave me a new spirit that I might apprehend him. And I can't believe on him from my own strength, but just through his revelation to me. And he is received up into glory to come again. And he sits on the right hand of God the Father and will one day appear from heaven with a trumpet blast that we might be gathered together to him. And he will be our God and we will be his people. And so I share that this morning. Because Paul thought it was important to speak unto the church at Ephesus, and I believe it's important to us today in the church. Who do we believe? And what do we believe? And that's the gospel, that Christ came for us. That Christ came in the flesh, died on the cross. And because he was just and he died, he made a way for us that that penalty for me and those charges against me were, were quite right because there's no way my righteousness could ever excuse myself. But Christ nailed that on the cross and he was my substitution and he gave me life and he indwells me through his Holy Spirit and his promise is, I won't leave you nor forsake you and I will come again. And the world would look upon those claims and they'll say, that guy's gone balmy. He believes all those things. He believes in Noah's Ark. Amazing. But that's because their eyes are blinded and they do not know the living God. And the Holy Spirit hasn't revealed yet to them the truth of God. And Paul says, that which I've just described to you is without question. There's no debate about that. That's set in stone. And he says that by the commandment of God as an apostle. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord God, that we can declare it as good news for us who know you and for all those who don't know you. We thank you, Lord. Lord, it is a great is that mystery of godliness. Lord, it's hard to imagine and fathom that you, God of everything, would come for us. But you did. We just thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that you came. And then, Lord, you came and you died for us, that we might have life. We thank you, Lord, that you 
come and live inside of us to strengthen us, to guide us, to teach us so that we might be able to approach you and to respond to you. We thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray, Lord God, that this message would resound across our nation, that all who don't know you would come to know you, that many would turn their hearts to you, that their eyes would be opened and they would see that which they thought was truth was false, and that which they thought was false was truth, and they would see you in your glory, and they would come to know you. We pray that, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, that you haven't left us adrift as orphans, but, Lord, that you've promised that you'll come again. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that it is good news, that we can rely and trust in you, that, Lord, we can awake in the morning with joy in our heart because you're with us, that you uphold us, that no matter what circumstances are around us, that you're with us, that you comfort us. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. As, we, uh, as, as, as the next song is playing, if there's anybody here who hasn't had ever revealed to them that Christ is the living God, has never really been, that has never been revealed in their heart, and God's speaking to you this morning, I'll just say as we speak this song, I just encourage you to come forward for prayer. Come forward to lift your arms up and to worship God. When Peter came down out of the upper rooms on the day of Pentecost many years ago, and he declared that declared the gospel, which I've spoken this morning, people said, how do we believe? How might we be saved, they said. And he said, you need to repent and believe, and Christ will meet you. Thank you, Lord. <laughs>